0: This episode of Nocturne is brought to you with the support of Audible. Audible is the leading provider of audiobooks, with more than 180,000 downloadable titles, including works of fiction and nonfiction. Audible is offering a free 30-day trial for listeners of Nocturne. Just go to audible.com Nocturne, download a book, and start listening. One title you might consider is Our Souls at Night by Kent Harouf, a lovely novel about two neighbors, both widowed, who decide to spend their nights together as an antidote to the loneliness they endure in the hours of darkness get a free trial at audible.com/nocturne that's audible.com/nocturne Listening to Nocturne, I'm Vanessa Lowe. Kids sneak out of the house at night for a lot of reasons. Sometimes there are serious issues going on at home or personal problems that need to be dealt with. But often, it's just for the thrill or for a taste of freedom or for love. Most of the time, it's a memorable experience. If for no other reason, then it makes you kind of an outlaw. Sneaking out of the house. It was the middle of the night and I didn't tell her where I was going. I think I was about 11.
1: 14 to 16, probably. Maybe 15 at the late days. I snuck out a lot in my high
0: school years. There was that element of danger. It was exciting.
1: There's kind of a rush that you get.
0: And I said, let's sneak out tonight. <clears throat> so we did. It was kind of a struggle, but it was fun. It was good. We had to be careful. I'm very careful. We waited till everyone was asleep. Everything was dark and I remember very stealthily creeping through the house so you're in socks that's crucial every time you take a step you have to be really slow very slowly and quiet with like turning the. Key. it's like keys and knobs doors they just you, you take like a minute to open every door and then close it after you that's the secret and and sometimes if things creak, creaking boards you have to watch out for overdoing that because if something creaks You have to, like, go fast sometimes or close the door really fast to almost shut and then really slowly turn the knob and do it. So you just have to track, like, what you have to do really slowly and what you have to do fast. We just ran around the city for hours, it seemed like. Go to the local park and hang out.
1: It involved girls. Sometimes it was to sneak out to meet boys go with a group of friends to like a party or whatever or just do a bunch of random stuff and just a bunch of stuff that I really didn't need to do now that I think about it. It's 1 a.m. walking up the hill and I see a police car and I tried to like hide
0: behind a bush. I think we were out until 3 or 4 in the morning. I came back at like 5 a.m. my parents are still asleep. You know just because you wanted to be able to go out and kind of be outside when it's super quiet. I remember the sky. Everything's so empty. The stars
1: sort of felt like Rebels, even though we really... I think my parents even knew, but... That sinking feeling you get in your stomach whenever your parents is just like, where are you when you're not at home and you should be at home?
0: So my house we had an alarm system on the front door. This past summer, we got a new system. Coming back in, I forgot the code. And so I'm standing there for like two minutes trying to figure it out. Before I know it, it's too late and I got caught.
1: You're going big trouble. <laughs>
0: I got my butt whoops. I did it too. I was a pretty good kid. I did well in school and didn't get in trouble. I had a close relationship with my parents. And at around 15 years old, I had a boyfriend named Chris who I really, really liked. We would do that thing where we'd talk on the phone at night, fall asleep with the phone to our ear, and then wake up still connected. He lived in a fancy apartment on Fifth Avenue, a huge apartment, so big that I don't think I ever saw his parents. One weekend night, I was sleeping over at my friend Jennifer's house. I can picture her room clearly. Brass bed, Laura Ashley flowered comforter, makeup and clothes strewn around the floor. And this one night, I got it into my head that I had to see Chris. It was late, probably 11 or 12. Jennifer's apartment was on the west side, and Chris's was across Central Park on the east side. It's possible that Jennifer wasn't as psyched as I was, but she was game, so we snuck out. Her parents were asleep in their room down the hall, so we just tiptoed out and quietly closed the front door. The adrenaline made us feel powerful and giddy. I knew what we were doing was wrong, but I don't remember entertaining any possibility that we might get caught. We took a cab through the park, where the city transformed into someplace else entirely. We drove down an eerie and unpopulated road lined with stone walls and dimly lit woods. We arrived at Chris's house and just hung out for hours. It's mostly a blur. I have a vague memory of us all just sitting around his room, talking and listening to music. And I also have something like a sense memory of everything seeming like it was shimmering with excitement and possibility. Until things went very bad. And the police showed up at his front door two large officers in uniform. They filled the entire doorway. I don't remember what they said or even what happened next. It's all blocked out by the memory of the sick, heavy feeling of dread that filled my whole body. I do know that Jennifer's mom had woken up, checked her room, and discovered that we were gone. She called my dad, who figured things out pretty quickly. Here's something interesting that I didn't really think about at the time. Our parents didn't call Chris's house, which would have been pretty easy. They called the police. I mean, if they knew where we were, there's really only one reason to call the police. To teach us a lesson. And I guess it did. I don't think I ever snuck out again. I think we both got grounded, and Jennifer's mom wouldn't let her hang out with me for a very long time. But when I look back on that night, I'm so glad we did it. It feels like a fun, exciting experience. And while I know that it was unkind to our parents and maybe even a little dangerous, it feels like a rite of passage. It's one of those core memories from my adolescence and a story I've told many times over the years. That's how I felt when I first thought about doing this episode. I got a smile on my face and I felt that buzz. And then I thought about my 10 year old son and it wasn't such a fun story anymore. Now it was serious and scary. I read posts on the internet from parents who were freaking out and worried about their kids and getting pretty controlling, with plans of catching their kids in the act or even jumping out at them in the middle of the night to scare them straight. I found myself with really conflicting emotions, so I consulted an expert to get some clarity. I've altered her voice, and she's using a fake name for reasons that will become obvious. Say what name I should call you.
1: How about, like... Maria? Just call me Maria. I am 16, almost 17. I'm a junior in high school.
0: I've known Maria since she was a baby, so I didn't feel like an impartial interviewer. She had heard me talking about the issue of kids sneaking out at night and said she had some things to share. I was excited to hear what she had to say, but the mama bear reflex kicked in a bit too. Also, I'm friends with her parents who gave the okay for the interview, even though they didn't know what she was going to tell me.
1: My relationship with my parents is actually, like, super great. It's a very trusting relationship, and there's not a lot of secrets at all. Like, I can tell them, like, anything.
0: She hasn't told them this.
1: This took place when I was in ninth grade, my freshman year of high school. I was about 15. I had a boyfriend. And we really, really liked each other. Like, we were in love and all that nice, happy stuff. And it was it's a very cliche little story. Some might call it a classic. So his parents, like, really did not like me. And they ended up banning him from seeing me. And they wouldn't, like, help him come to see me. And, like, we lived pretty far away from each other. So it was like a 20-minute drive.
0: I remember this time period. Maria was not her usual bubbly self. I'd heard a bit about her boyfriend's parents frowning on their relationship. It turns out that boyfriend was hatching a plan.
1: He just had this idea.
0: One night at around 11, they were talking on the phone, and he told her he had to go do something.
1: And 40 minutes go by about, and I hear these little pings on my window.
0: Maria's room is at ground
1: level and I pull the blinds up and he's kind of just sitting there all smug like what's up and I'm like freaking out behind the window and I'm just like what is going on like how did you get here are you okay what are you doing but it's also like a very exciting moment because we hadn't seen each other for like three and a half months
0: boyfriend did not tell his parents that he was going out
1: he biked six miles to my house, most of it being down Fruitvale Avenue. Fruitvale Avenue in Oakland, a big majority of it is dangerous at night. It's like a little kind of battleground for certain gangs and stuff, and there's been like a lot of unfortunate events that happen. Like, if you've ever heard of the Fruitvale-Bart incident, they made a movie out of it. Like, that's the exact same area. I don't think he really understands how dangerous Fruitvale is, so I don't think that part scared him. But he knew not to wear his red jacket because of the, the color rivalries that happened down there.
0: She's talking about the colors that street gangs use to identify themselves.
1: But he was very, he's very afraid of his parents still, and it was he would get in a lot of trouble, and he knew it, he would, and so he was afraid of his parents finding out. He came in through the window, like, you know, a little prince, you know, like, or like in the movies, you throw walks at your girlfriend's window, and then he came inside, and then we just got to spend time with each other for hours, and then he left probably around like, three in the morning. And sometimes we just, like, lay there, and just, like, listen to music in the dark, and just be like, you're here.
0: Um... This is really nosy.
1: It's okay. You guys just talked? No.
0: (laughs) This went on for a couple of months, almost every weekend. Sneaking out at night was the only way they could see each other. It's a venerable tradition, stealing away under cover of darkness to reunite with your forbidden love. But what Maria told me next pushed my composure a bit.
1: I also did this, too. Wait, you did what? I also went over to his house a few times. What time of night? The same time of night. Very late.
0: (laughs) What I felt when I heard this can only be described as cold fear. Images of deadbolts and alarm systems briefly popped into my mind. What Maria was describing was so dangerous. But I also remember myself at 15. I was single-minded and driven by powerful forces.
1: I wasn't really scared because I knew I was going somewhere that made me feel very safe and I was going to go be with him.
0: Maria went to great lengths to get out of the house unnoticed and be with her boyfriend.
1: We keep our bikes in the garage. So I would have to get my bike and carry it through my brother's room. He was at college, so there was no one in the room and then up like two and a half flights of stairs, very narrow little stairs, and then out into the backyard, past my parents' bedroom and stuff, and then open our nice creaky gate, and then carry it down some other steps to get back to ground level. And then I'd have to go back and close everything that I just opened, and then I'd come back out of my window. The
0: fog of love didn't completely obscure Maria's judgment. She did think things through before she left.
1: I wear a helmet and I had lights and like gears so people could see me and all that stuff and I I wasn't wearing any color affiliated clothes I always carried my phone in case and like identification if anything happened and all that kind of stuff so we were both very safe about it it's honestly like a very easy route my neighborhood is like pretty safe like it's a pretty normal neighborhood and so you go downhill and for about like me, like a quarter or a half mile, like it's pretty safe. And then you get into a more dangerous neighborhood, but it's all a straight shot. There's like very little turning and stuff. And then you get into the neighborhoods just before like the real dangerous part of Fruitvale. And you can totally see the houses go from being very big and having like nicely painted doors and just like sturdy walls and like the nice good grass to... Slowly progressing to the houses are starting to peel, and maybe like the steps are dipping in, and like the sidewalks start to get more like dingy. You hear like that dogs are barking, and then you get into like Fruitvale, and it's just like thinking about it now is something I didn't realize until I do explain it. But it's a very weird like progression of like wealth of distribution and just living conditions. There's only like one part that isn't very well lit, but I know it perfectly fine. It's like the part that's like right before his house. I only ever got scared when I had to stop and then start my bike again because I'm really bad at doing that. <laughs> the first time it took me like an hour and it was kind of like drizzling and I didn't have any rain gear. And it was like, my glasses are getting all messed up and I can't see out of them. This is wonderful. So that was kind of scary, but like, I knew I would get back, even if my tire fell off. I would just walk the bike back, and I wouldn't call my parents. Like, I'd just get back, and everything would be fine. That was really fun. Like, it was just, it was like living in a movie. It was just like a very exciting feeling.
0: I was curious if Maria could see through her teenage excitement to the reasons that her parents might object to her sneaking out at night, and if empathy for them could affect what she does in the future.
1: Particularly my mom would be so worried. Like she would be mad, but not in like an angry way, just in the fact that something could have happened and it would have frightened her like so much. And she cares a lot about me. And then my dad, I don't know exactly how my dad would react I think he'd just also be very worried and he would get more of like an angry mad rather than worried just because it's like, oh my God, like, what are you doing? This is so dangerous. And this like, what is going on? Like, how could you do that? I Thinking back on it, I didn't, like, when I was going out, I didn't really think about it that much. Like, I knew if something happened, it would be pretty bad but I also knew nothing would actually happen at the same time. Uh, So it didn't really influence me or deter me from going out at all. Um, Only after the fact when I got older and more mature that I understood that if something had happened, it would just be like detrimental. Did that sense of knowing how bad your mom would feel affect your behavior at all? Not really, no. I went out because I loved him, and I wanted to see him, and I hadn't seen him in forever, and just being with him, it made me feel, like, so great. It's like being on another planet.
0: Maria eventually came back down to Earth. And as she told her friends the exciting, romantic story of her nighttime adventures, she began to have a sense that she may not have been seeing the whole picture.
1: Um, and then after, like, telling the story a few times, I was at home and I was like, did I really do that? Like, I really went out in the middle of the night to go see some boy on, like, the most dangerous part of Oakland or something. Like, go me. Go go those smarts. Like, good for me. So you're being sarcastic. <laughs> so, yes, I'm being sarcastic. Like, that is so dangerous. Like, if I was a parent and my kid did that in, like, the most dangerous part of the city, I'd be like, what are you doing? Like, why? (laughs) What is this? Like, you could get so hurt. If I got hit by a car or something, there's, no one would know me. And most likely they would just drive away if I didn't get like that hurt.
0: So it's almost like you are under a spell. What do you attribute the waking up thing to?
1: I grew up. Now, when you get older, you're like, Why did I ever do that crazy thing? (laughs) Um, And then you just, like, get more mature and you realize, like, how dangerous certain things are. Like, even driving around in the middle of the night is dangerous and very bad. Here's the rub.
0: Even with the wisdom of hindsight and maturity, Maria would do it all again.
1: Like, I'd probably go do it again if I was really that into someone. But I'm not, like dramatically in love with someone anymore so it's kind of worn off.
0: So you think even having this waking up perspective of oh my god that's so dangerous if you were in love again would that all go out the window?
1: Yeah <laughs> I would go do it again because it's the whole experience is very fun because it's like forbidden and very taboo and it's such a teenager thing to do and you get to be with the person that you want to be with and it's great. It's like the best feeling in the world.
0: Parents just want to keep their kids safe, but they're up against a lot. They're up against the best feeling in the world, and they're up against their kids' natural impulse to push through boundaries. The night can be like the great frontier to a kid, a forbidden zone, the perfect place to explore autonomy and independence. At first, it might be tempting to just lay down the law, But is it possible that some of the risks might be worth it?
1: To the parent who's very worried about their kid, like, be worried. That's your job to be a parent. It's to be worried. But just don't get mad at your kids because like, being a kid, when your parents get angry at you, it makes you feel terrible and guilty. And you might even still go do it. If I really cared about someone, I would go back and do it. I think it's, important to let your kid do things that are kind of risky because if something goes wrong they they can maybe figure out why it went wrong and man i really shouldn't do that like you know i got in the car crash and like letting your kid drive is risky on its own and so now i know like maybe i shouldn't try to drive through a yellow light next time yeah but there's like a whole bunch of risky things that parents will do like you know getting your kid a skateboard that's that's scary
0: Clearly, it's very scary to find that your child is not safe in bed in the middle of the night where you thought they were. That's why the police showed up at my boyfriend's house when I was 15. But sometimes there's no negative consequence. That was the case for Maria. She's been lucky and smart, and I really hope she stays safe. So do you still sneak out?
1: Yes, I do. Yes, I do still sneak out. Um, Yeah, I still go out, but not in the way that I did before. It's usually just for me. After this boy who I was going up to see like broke up with me, I was very distraught and sad and stuff. And I really just like didn't Mm -hmm. wanna be in my room anymore. Like I was like, there's like too many memories in here. Like there's still stuff of his in here. Like I just wanna get out of this room. And so I left at probably like 12 at night and I went outside and I walked up my hill to like the highest point I could. And then I sat on the top of this little hill like looking out over the bay for like an hour, just doing that kind of thing. And I've done that a few more times and stuff. Just like, just go out and sit there and like try to let myself understand everything that's happened and heal.
0: I'm picturing her there, almost 17, sitting alone on a hilltop at 1 o'clock in the morning, looking out at the city. She's still a kid, but she's growing up. And she knows that the night is there for her, when she needs it. You've been listening to Nocturne. I'm Vanessa Lowe. Thanks to Audible for supporting the show. Go to audible.com/nocturne for your free 30-day trial. Nocturne is produced by me and was created by myself and Kent Sparling, who also composed the theme music. Additional music in this episode by Will Thomas, David Hughes, Ross Garin, and Andre Lafosse. Special thanks to Jenna Canotti. Huge thanks to Talia Abacassis and Rob McGinley Myers for editorial help. You can contact Rob for help with your audio story at phonograph.media. You can help the show by supporting us on Patreon. If everyone who listened to this show donated $1 a month, it would be amazing what we could do. Consider it a subscription. Go to nocturnepodcast.org and click on Donate. It'll take you right to Nocturne's Patreon page. Nocturne is a proud founding member of The Herd, an independent collective of sound-rich storytelling podcasts. Find out more at theherdradio.com. That's H-E-A-R-D. Thanks for listening.